Return to Camp Blood, Episode 67, Community Spotlight with Jason Farrell. This episode is brought to you by Jason Lives Since 1980 blog. Jesus Christ. Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming to me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I miss his voice. An old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs to hell. You're doing it if you stay here. Never come back again. You see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. Welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I'm your host, Eric, joined by my fellow counselors, Lando. How you doing? And Nate. What's up, guys? Tonight, we have a special guest, uh, Jason Farrell. He uh, is a former mask maker, and recently, uh, Jason Parker from FridayThe13thFranchise.com uh, reposted uh, an article that Jason Farrell wrote on something that Friday the 13th mask makers and cosplayers argue about quite frequently, the color of Jason's mask in three and four and the evolution of how it became a beige color. How are you doing tonight, Jason? I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. So first off, I, what, what even drew you to Friday the 13th, the franchise at all? Well, uh, it was that my mom was a fan when I was about six years old. Um, I remember watching uh, kind of from the kitchen because I wasn't really allowed to watch it. Part six when she rented it on uh, VHS. I thought the mask was really cool and that kind of stuck in my head. And then I would just see like bits of it on TV. And then I found out the killer's name was Jason. And I was like, oh, my name's Jason. That's perfect. So, uh, I, you know, the love just kind of grew from there. And by the time I was 12, I collected all the films on vhs and uh and then years later i found out you can actually get a hockey mask like a real one not like the crappy ones we used to have in the 80s uh <laughs> so uh yeah i don't know it, it was something that uh, i always loved kind of off and on through the years that i always kind of came back to you know it's like a lot of people describe it, it's like uh, comfort food it's something you know you throw on a movie when you just want to chill out and uh and uh you know just enjoy something and turn your brain off oh i Absolutely. I think comfort food's the, the best analogy that we've had so far. And I looked at the mat, the, the article is, and I'm guessing that's from your, is that from your blog or did you just write up an article? Yeah, it's from my blog. I posted it a few days ago. We all know that when Rick gets thrown through the window and Jason comes through, that mask is a creepy white cream color. Right. However, by the time he gets to the barn and into part four, we see that it's morphed into a camely beige. Right. It, it appears to have anyway. And uh, we attribute some of that to lighting and people interpret it differently. And a lot of times they come off with a more yellow color because of the lighting. Mm -hmm. But I, when I, I saw yours, I mean, from the crackle all the way down to the the slightest minutia of that mask was just spot on. Thanks. Yeah, I try really hard to get it accurate. I used to be, when I would you know, paint masks uh, commercially years ago, I was pretty obsessed with getting every single line as close as I could. So, yeah, I really, it's something I really enjoy doing is just grabbing all those little details and just seeing how much effort they put into the original. I think it's, it's pretty amazing. I was just curious, 
for people, I mean, like you said, you don't make masks all that often, but you have done it in the past. And there is so much debate that goes on with the you know authenticity of the mask and everything. I always think of it as people who make movies. It's like, like someone talking to Roger Corman or something. Is How do you watch a movie and enjoy it as much as someone who's just going into a theater when you know how the process works and everything? Or do you ever just see people that have masks and you kind of, you smile and nod or whatever, but you, in, in your mind, you're kind of rolling your eyes a little bit thinking about that that's really not a very good mask at all. I mean, does that take away from that kind of experience once in a while with you? It, yeah, it does a little bit. Uh, you're absolutely right about like knowing the process and knowing the people and seeing all the little flaws in the way they film and everything. Once you've seen a movie a million times, you know, you, you pick up on all those things. And now when I watch part three, I almost don't, you know, in the, especially the last third of the movie, I almost don't even pay attention to what's going on. I'm just looking at the mask and like studying the mask and going, ah, you know, I wonder if I got this part right or that part right. So yeah, it does. After a while, it does kind of influence how you how you view the movie and, and how much you can enjoy it. So in a sense, it's probably like a lesser version of like if you actually worked on the movie and those guys, you know, who experienced the whole thing the whole process and labored through, uh, you know, all the, the 3d filming and everything, you know, there's a, they can never be on the other side of the lens really. They'll always have that experience. So it's kind of a, a you know, a lesser version of that, I think. Right on. Uh, were you like me and Nathan, you wanted to get, you wanted to get it, your mask as screen accurate as possible at, I mean, down to the, the smallest crack, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I guess maybe six or seven years ago, I really tried to get into like, I tried to be like as scientific as possible and trying to um, discern, you know, how the mask was made and the details. And uh, Crash was really into that at the time too. And he had interviewed Doug White and um, there was all kinds of other clues we could pick up from uh, like Crystal Lake Memories and all these interviews. So I tried to, you know, I was one of Quite a few people, I guess, who were trying to piece together all these clues about how the mask was made and, you know, this big iconic thing and what ha- happened to it after filming and and all this stuff. So just asking a lot of questions. Um, and then eventually, like I said in my blog post, I talked to, uh, over Facebook, Rob Wilson King, who was the um, uh, set designer on Friday the 13th Part 3. Um, and I, I asked him, I told him I had a, like a argument with a friend of mine. I was like, Hey, was the mask like a beige yellow color or, or what was it? And then he gave me a few clues. Um, uh, he did say number one, that I had a satin finish. Um, he said it was a white mask that he had, uh, covered with a, what he called a, a patina. Um, and I wasn't sure what he was talking about at the time, but he said the patina made it look kind of beige, um, or cream colored as he called it. Um, so it wasn't until fairly recently, I've been still been debating off and on with a friend of mine over what he meant exactly. Uh, my friend seemed to think it was something called nitrocellulose lacquer, which sometimes they use to finish guitars. But, uh, then I found this mamery, uh, amber varnish, um, and that, you know, it had patina like right in the title. So I was like, well, heck, I better try that. And uh, I just tried it, you know back in you know last spring uh and just kept coding and coding i was like my god it looks just like all the behind the scenes photos you know the color comes out perfect so i had to kind of share that with everybody on the blog because it just looks i mean it just looks exactly like what you see in uh and photos that have been taken of the mask since then um and it is you know in a sense it is a white mask when we were watching you know this movie as kids it you know especially part three less so part four you're like well that's a white mask um and it is and it, but it just has this um, 
this uh, transparent varnish that makes it look yellow, and it looks varying degrees of kind of yellow depending on the lighting you're in. Um, so that, I thought that was interesting to kind of get into the science of it and why it looks the way it does. Um, but I, honestly, I know people think that the maps change uh, during filming. I don't think that's the case. I really think it's a combination of lighting and color timing. Um, and I, I think the mask was basically weathered the same uh, throughout and colored the same and everything. Um, and I could tell just photographing my mask a bunch of different ways. It can look completely different in different photos. So um, I think, you know, the, the way they filmed it and the 3D effects and everything uh, influenced kind of how you see it on screen. Um, so, yeah, that's just what I had tried to uh, reproduce. Well, Jason, I, I followed your blog for several years, and I really appreciate all the the you know, the different posts that you've made and I guess just following the, the evolution of your, your study, if you want to call it that. And your last post, you know, I have to agree, you know, with everything that was said on it and being that you, you know, kind of came up with something that we haven't really seen at least maybe for a while now, maybe since crash uh, was attempting the same thing, but the look of the three that you came up with, with all that in mind, do you intend on maybe offering those for sale again? Probably not just because it's so time consuming. Um, and the big thing that's going to take up my time over the next probably three to four months is, um, uh, another project I'm working on my, uh, Pam sculpt, um, maybe in the future, if I have more time, maybe late next year or something like that, I might get into it, but, um, I don't have any immediate plans. So basically it was just kind of to get the information out there and let the other guys take a crack at it. Exactly. There's a lot of really good mass painters out there. Um, and I always love seeing other people's work on Facebook. Um, and yeah, I, you know, if people want to tackle that, I think that's awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm probably not going to do it. I'll let the, the guys who really know what they're doing tackle it. Well, I think they're probably definitely very appreciative of that last post because uh, I know there's been a lot of debate over that, but there's also a lot of information that I've found and read also. I mean, I don't paint masks myself, but I do look at a lot of the different articles and, and like I said, I've seen some other information, but I think your last blog post has been the most accurate, you know, the most detailed on you know, possibly how they got to that, that exact process of the screen use mask. Thanks. Yeah, I, I hope so. And, uh, really I should, uh, thank Rob Wilson King for, uh, for actually talking to me at Facebook. I didn't think that was going to happen, but the, those few little clues he gave me, I was just like smacking myself on the forehead. I was like, Oh my God, it's a varnish. It's not a paint at all. Um, so yeah, it was really nice to, to get that information from somebody that actually worked on set. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect him to give away all the clues, but it sounds like whatever it was he gave you exactly was just what you needed. Great, great work. Exactly. I, gotta, I definitely have to commend you. I think you did a great job on it. <laughs> Thanks. I enjoy the slooping. Now, I'm going to dog ear the, the Pamela sculpt real quick. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he say in Crystal Lake Memories that it was painted on the inside so it wouldn't chip? Yeah, I guess he did, and that's always puzzled me. Um, a friend of mine said uh, he may have been, and we were just hypothesizing as we throw all this around, uh, I think Doug was earlier on in the process. Like, I think he painted a mask but didn't paint the final version of it. And other people that had worked on set, I think Martin Kit Rosser was one of them, who was one of, like, the effects supervisors, um, had said that there was a lot of different people that worked on the mask. It wasn't just one guy or one team even. Um, so I, I suspect what he's talking about is how he painted the mask before it was handed off to the next guy and then the next guy, you know, either Rob King or Terry Ballard, all these other guys who had a hand in it. So, and, you know, with 30 years that go by or, or more than that now, um, 
I'm sure their memories are, uh, are you know, hazy. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's all kinds of little details like that floating around. Since you've ex- since you've basically finished your experiment, or at least I, I would assume it's finished anyway, I'm sure you probably are going to try a couple other things. But with the pictures that you just recently posted, have you forwarded those to any of the – have you forwarded them to Rob or any of the other people to get their opinion on your work? No, I haven't. I usually don't do that because most of the effects guys um, – I the impression I have is they kind of don't care. Um, I did um, talk to uh, on Facebook, what was his name? Brian Wade, who worked on uh, part six. I did a, um, I tried to get a, a really accurate version of his uh, sculpt for, um, you know, the Jason's face for the graveyard scene. Uh, and I posted that on his Facebook page and he said, wow, that's cool, man. Um, and then um, what's his name? The director McLaughlin, uh, Tom McLaughlin from part six. Um, saw the sculpt as well and said it was pretty cool. Um, so that's really it. I haven't um, talked to a lot of guys who actually worked on uh, on the film. And I've heard other people say that same thing, that once they're done with the movie, they're just kind of, you know, the interest isn't really there. They move on to other projects. But I was just curious if maybe they had seen it and commended you also. Yeah, no, I don't know. That, that might be something I do in the future. It'd be nice. I totally think you should. Since you have... The screen used mama's head. How did you acquire that in the first place? So that um, about five years ago, I was on Friday the 13th franchise.com and I saw an article uh, that Jason Parker had posted that referred to uh, the website of some random little local paper in Western Connecticut. And it was an article and a photo about a guy named Lloyd Alden. And um, Lloyd had actually owned the camp. Uh, it was called Camp Kenmont that they filmed part two at back in uh, September of 1980. Um, and Lloyd said that uh, when filming rap, uh, they had a rap party. And when he went to kind of clean up the site the next day, he found the head uh, hanging from a tree. Um, and apparently the crew just left it for him. And, you know, back then they didn't care about horror movie props. These were just things they threw out. So instead of throwing it out, fortunately, they just kind of left it on the campsite to, to scare him. And he grabbed that and the Camp Crystal Lake sign they also left. And he just kept it, you know, for over 30 years. Um, so I found out about him through this article. And then I guess a few weeks later, um, I have, I'm from Connecticut, too. So I happen to be in Connecticut with family. And um, I just kind of looked him up online. And I found a phone number because he owns like a Christmas tree farm. Uh, and I called him up. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if he was going to be, you know, uh, standoffish or whatever. I was like, hey, you know, I saw the article where you have the Mrs. Voorhees head. And it, it was really funny because he just could not wait to talk about Friday the 13th. He had all kinds of stories about being on set and when they filmed at his camp and everything. Um, so I talked to him for a little bit. And I was like, would you mind if I come to see it? I, you know, I might make an offer on it. He's like, yeah, sure. Uh, so I actually went April of, uh, 2011, I actually went to his house and he still lives right on, um, North Spectacle Pond where they did the filming. Um, I went to his house and, uh, got to look at it and, um, I, I made him an offer. He didn't take it. And then, uh, about four and a half years went by and a friend of mine found it on eBay and I was like, oh my God, he finally put it on eBay. So, um, I just managed to grab it. Uh, not too many other people saw it because the auction just went up and I grabbed it. And that's how I have it. So did you get the mask and, or the, did you get mama's head and the sign in a, in a bulk deal on eBay? Yeah, that's right. Uh, they came as a package deal and Lloyd always said, um, 
when I saw him years earlier that he was going to sell those together. Um, and he didn't want to split them up. He did have some other photos too, some original photos and just like souvenirs uh, from on set that I didn't get um, that weren't part of the deal. But I know he has, um, he made photocopies of some of those and sent them to me, but he's got a bunch of old Polaroids and stuff with uh, uh, some of the, the cast members, um, which is kind of cool. Um, and then some other things that were like distributed to the crew. But, uh, but yeah, these are the two big things. So definitely, definitely the things I wanted. Right on. So what made you want to start sculpting mama's head? Um, the big reason was, um, I don't know. I've got a lot of money tied up in it and I don't know if I'm going to keep it forever. So in the event that I decide to sell it, I want like a souvenir. I want a copy of it that, you know, is almost as good as having the original as I can get. Um, and that I can, you know, I'll just keep forever. Um, but in doing that, obviously I can make copies for a bunch of people too. You know, if I, if I wear out a mold, I can probably pull 20, 25 copies or something like that and just, you know, sell them and I'll make back a little bit of the money that I spent on a thing. Um, so yeah, it's really just wanting one for posterity in case I ever have to like sell it. Right on. That's very good. And so you said you can pull uh twenty twenty five copies is it, so you're gonna are you are you going to release that twenty twenty five yeah um that'll be i don't think i'm gonna remold or anything once you know the mold that i uh that i have is shot so it'll just be one run it'll probably be about twenty copies but i might pull a couple extra um and yeah and that'll be it um and then, you know just the first twenty people uh, who, who get on the list will, um, will get them. And, um, I'm not going to, I will paint them. Um, I assume, you know, a lot of people are going to want that. I'm not going to hair them because all they did with the movie version is, uh, attach a wig to it, but I'm going to tell people exactly what wig to get. Cause Tom Spina, who, um, put my wig together, um, when I had it restored, um, did a great job and it looks just like the movie one. Um, so I'll just tell people who buy it if they want, you know, here's what you do. You just buy the wig, you yank out half the hair, uh, you run a, uh, a heat gun through it a little bit and you style it and, uh, it's pretty easy to do. Um, and then I think, um, uh, for, you know, whoever buys one, I'll take a photo of their, you know, exact copy next to the real thing so they can show people how close it is. I think that'd be a nice, you know, thing to throw in. So that's my plan anyway. I hope to be able to do this by next month or so. Absolutely. I mean, uh, my mouth's watering just thinking about it. <laughs> this sculpt has been such a pain. I've been working on it since February. And um, one of the most important things with this piece is getting the shadows to fall perfectly because um, in the movie, they lit it mostly from the top. There was one uh, probably pretty powerful lamp uh, directly above her head that's shown down on her face that makes the kind of crags look really deep and shadowed and shadows out her eye sockets and everything and makes her look really creepy. Um, so it's not just a matter of like, oh, look at the thing and sculpt it. It's got to look perfect uh, under the right lighting too. So that's been something I do is I uh, I roll uh, like a light source, usually just my cell phone or something. I'll roll that over the sculpt. Um, from different angles and see if it picks up the light the same way as the real thing. So I'm constantly going back and forth between the two. Um, and it's dragged out the process, um, you know, of sculpting. But, you know, at the end of the at the end of the process, you end up with a way, way more accurate sculpt than if you were just trying to, you know, bust through it. Absolutely. And so 
do should I suffice it to say that nobody knows where the head from the fridge is? I have never heard uh, anything about that one, unfortunately. So there is a guy who has the head from part one, and I have the head, the second head from part two. But I've always wondered where that other head is because it's a great sculpt. And that one, which is funny, it actually looks like Betsy Palmer because supposedly he used a life cast of Betsy Palmer for that one. Mine does not in any way resemble Betsy Palmer. It doesn't even really look like a woman. It's just kind of a mummified head. Um, but yeah, I really always wanted to know where that damn head was. Absolutely. It's kind of like the Hero 3 mask. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly, uh, they, uh, what, nailed it to a door outside of their, outside of Real Effects' studio and then just left it there for years. That's the rumor. That's what Mr. Zernert said. Tragic. So with, with your sculpt in mind, do you have uh, an anticipated release date? I've seen your update pictures on it, but are you getting closer to where you're going to have a release date uh, set up here pretty quick? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't have an exact release date, but I'm definitely shooting for uh, September, probably mid to late September. So kind of right in time for Halloween season, um, which will be great. You know, everybody will be thinking about Friday the 13th and horror and all that. Um um, so that's what I'm shooting for. I'm, I finally, um, got the ears on and I got all the major forming done. So really all I got to do is, um, play with the ears a tiny bit and then get down to, um, the fine detailing, which is taking a, just a really sharp, uh, kind of knife-like sculpting tool, um, and doing all these really tiny fine lines and wrinkles, um, that are in the real thing. So, um, Stuff like that actually goes quicker than forming because you don't have to be quite so uh, laborious about, you know, doing it over and over and over. Um, so I, you know, anticipate that'll go fairly quick. So for our, our listeners out there that might be interested in purchasing one, is it too early to maybe have a, a price point in mind? Yeah, I, I tend to think it's bad luck to talk about a price before molding. Um, so I'm not going to have a price before then. But when I, uh, when I do, as uh, soon as I have a mold and a prototype and everything, um, I'll definitely, you know, let everybody know on Facebook and then on the blog and everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Well, there you go, listeners. You got to be on Facebook to find out. So then you can save your pennies. <laughs> so Jason, how can, how can our listeners get a hold of you or find you on the interwebs? Um, they can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm on, uh, probably three different, um, Friday the 13th, uh, like fan pages. Uh, and then I can also go to my blog at, uh, Jason lives since 1980.blogspot.com. Uh, and they can literally just leave a comment. I have a whole, uh, thread about, uh, the Sam Voorhees head. Um, and if, you know, they're interested in reserving a copy, there's a bunch of comments there already. They can just leave a comment. And then when I go to produce these, um, I'll just go through and aggregate everything. Everybody said they wanted one and just start sending emails. Um, so yeah, that's probably it. Right on. Make sure uh, you tag Return to Camp Blood as soon as you uh, get that. And email us at campbloodpodcast.com slash feedback. And that way I'll know. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll keep you guys in the loop. Awesome, Jason. It, it was great talking to you, man. And I hope you have a good night. Yeah, same. Great talking to you guys. And uh, thanks for interviewing me. This is the first podcast I've ever done. So this is really fun. Awesome. Have a good night. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever the hell you listen to the show. If you want to support the show financially, head over to campbloodpodcast.com slash donate. If you think you or someone you know should be featured on the show, 
You can hit us up at the website under the contact tab or comment on the show notes at campbloodpodcast.com slash 67. A special thanks goes out to the Downriver Rat for intro and outro music. You can check out his music at the downriverrat.com. Until next time. Yeah.